Hey everybody, welcome to our special edition Quarantine Queens series of the For the Love podcast. We looked at each other and went, what can we do? Like, what do we have that we can use to serve our community right now? And we were like, oh my gosh, we can podcast. Plus, all these guests are sitting at home, and we could probably get them to say yes to come on and lead us well, and they did. So we have been releasing two bonus episodes a week in addition to our incredible ordinary For the Love podcast series, which is Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, which is absolutely scalding hot right now. This bonus series is for us right now living in these bizarre times. You know what? The team and I were talking, we're like, we need to talk to someone who has been through a really hard thing already. They have hard fought lessons in their hands to share. Like we need to speak to somebody who has been to the wilderness and has survived and have come back to tell the tale and lead us well. And I'm telling you, I had one person on my list that I wanted to speak to us as a spiritual leader, as someone who could pastor us through this moment, because I know her. And I know her story, and I know she is a faithful witness to the work required right now. And so if you do not already know Kate Bowler, it is my joy to introduce her to you today. Kate, she's just a real special thing. She's an associate professor of the history of Christianity in North America at Duke Divinity School. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's doing okay. It's like a little university that's doing okay. And Kate is a New York Times bestselling author of several excellent books, but especially for our purposes today, you may want to learn more about her book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. I mean, on the nose, you guys. She wrote that book after she was diagnosed with stage four cancer at 35 years old, which we talk about a little bit today. She also has a podcast called Everything Happens, sort of spinning off this idea where she talks to people about how they have learned to live inside pain and struggle and loss and hang on to hope and faith and love. So long story short, Kate is exactly who we need right now. Exactly. I want you to follow her on every single social media platform. I want you to sit under her leadership. I'm telling you, I can't think of a better guide. And so, so grateful to her for coming on the show today. And I think this conversation is going to mean so much to you. And it closes with a very beautiful prayer that Kate prays over us together. And it is just, I'm so glad you're here today. Let me introduce you to Kate Bowler. I am absolutely delighted to talk to you today. Delighted. Thank you, Kate, for coming on the show. Hello, my friend. It's nice to hear you. And actually, it's nice to see you. And I want to tell our listeners what that means. Because <laughs> what that means, well, why don't you just tell them? Well, it looks like I've been taken captive. But in truth, I'm just hiding from homeschooling by being holed up in my small laundry room. So what Jen can see with her human eyes over Skype is all my unfinished laundry, my collection of bras, the fact that I don't know how to wash silks. <laughs> I just saw the bras. Oh, it's so exciting. Although I do want to commend you on your use of bins and organizational tools. 
Like, I see you right now. I see you in an organized laundry room and I salute. Thank you so much. I'm so honored that you are here with me in this moment in this way. (laughs) Before we kind of get into some of this, can you just talk for a minute about you, your family, where you are, who is there with you? What do your days look like right now? Just give us that. Give us a little update, a Kate update. Well, I have one tiny human named Zach. So we're doing homeschooling and I have a deeply introverted husband, Tobin, who is so unclear about why human connection is requires 24 hours of togetherness. Oh, buddy. And so the rhythm of everything is so different. I'm trying to figure out like what does it feel to give your best gift in a season of really limited resources because none of us have any extra. Like I miss having friends and human touch, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. But also just feel so crazy at the same time. So I'm trying hard to, I realize like every day sort of has like a a series of batteries in it. Like for instance, I have, well, I've had chronic cancer and so I have a lot of pain. So sometimes like my pain battery is like really low because I haven't, as in like, I haven't had enough like physical therapy and stuff like that. So every day I try to do like a battery check and be like, hey, what am I lowest on? I'm never going to be topped up, but what am I middle on? So what can I afford to let slide for the day? And I try to do the best with what little I have every day and just take it day by day. Oh, that's a really good approach. I was texting with a friend this morning and she was asked, check, doing a check-in with me. And I was essentially telling her the same thing, but you've put it in such better language that it just depends. And every day feels different. And some days feel like one level is full. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at you. Good job, level. And others are just bankrupt. You know, they just like bottom out. And so I think that's a smart approach to kind of do a mental and physical scan every day and go, where am I at? And then behaving accordingly. What does this mean for you right now for your physical health? You mentioned therapy. Is that something that you would normally be driving to and now you don't get to? Yeah. I mean, I normally have about, I don't know, 10 hours a week of health appointments just because I am one of the fragile people. <laughs> and so it's just been a lot of, you know, problem solving to figure out like, okay, I can't do this appointment. What can I get online? How do I figure out medication and blah, blah, blah. So like everybody, our bodies are puzzles. And especially when we're glitchy, we're all trying to figure out how we marshal resources and come up with a different constellation of how to live. Totally. So for any of my listeners who weren't already following you, and tons of them do, of course, it's interesting your particular work and voice and perspective right this minute. Nobody wants to craft their life to be a person who really has something to say in crisis. <laughs> like, Is your life getting worse? You right. might be interested in I'm like, polar. meet my friend Kate. <laughs> oh, that's so true. It's not the resume you want to build, and yet here you are. You've been leading in this kind of zip code for a long time. And so to me, I just want to hear you talk about that because – you're a very credible and trustworthy leader right now. And, you know, one thing that you have said is you can still be faithful and afraid. And of course, you literally know this. Can you just talk more about it? Can you talk about what you've learned and why and how you think it applies to this moment that we're all now living in? 
Oh, sure. Well, when I was 35, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and it took apart like a whole way I used to think and speak. I used to only speak in the language of the future. I was like really good at it. I was like daily planner queen (laughs) and totally obsessed with efficiency and fitting everything in and like conquering the day. And then all of a sudden, all of my ways of dealing with life came apart when I wasn't able to predict the future anymore. And a lot of that, it just became very practical. Like, well, so then what do we do with the fact that we're limited? Because I had to live scan to scan, I realized that cancer wasn't going to be a crisis. It was going to be a chronic condition and that I was going to have to figure out new and better language for uncertainty. Because Everything I said, I just realized I wasn't able to talk the way that we normally, like I used to talk. I used to be able to say like, oh, in June, you know, I was so good at like planning. I was sort of addicted to that little middle place where you're just always expecting the next thing. Like, oh, when this comes around and then when that got taken away for a while, I just felt like I was stuck in a kind of silence. And I found it, frankly, really hard to relate to people because everybody very naturally speaks in the language of the future. So ever since I got sick and, you know, I've been doing so well health-wise, I'm just like a physically delicate person. And so because of that, I've tried to think a lot about like liminality, which is that great word for like the space between. And so since all of us now are stuck in this terrible season of betweenness where we're never quite sure if we've hit the bottom yet and what we would feel like when it does, we're living in this season of chronic fear together. And I'm really grateful to be able to share in that. I mean, not happy for any of us that we're here, but grateful to have the community around which we can experience and understand uncertainty together. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're dialing in to what now feels acute to virtually every one of us, where that probably used to feel lonely to you. And literally everybody in my whole life too, Kate, same as you, we are just, every single thing is up in the air. So the whole notion of like a confirmed future, we don't know, people have lost their jobs. A lot of us whatever plans we had for this part of the year are gone. Even the next half of the year gone. We're worried about our health compromised friends and family and our kids and first responders. It's just everywhere, the economy. And so with such uncertainty, and you just said the word fear, and I think that's underneath most of it is just this Frankly, we really never had control, but we thought we did, you know? Oh my gosh, totally. We thought we did. And we're in this, and I'm so sorry, I never didn't answer your very thoughtful question about like the fear in relationship to faith, which is that we live in this culture that is obsessed with dealing with our own fear by training ourselves into positive thinking and speaking. And I think as Christians, we've gotten confused is we've imagined this as the only language of faith. And that is the area of my expertise because I'm a historian and I've written books about the history of positive thinking and the history of the prosperity gospel. And it just seems so obvious to me right now that this language of a certain future, just what you said about like, oh, better things are ahead. I am unhappy to say that life is not always going to get better. And we as Christians need to be okay saying that without accusing each other of being unfaithful. 
But like, just because it's not going to get better doesn't mean it can't still be good and beautiful and true. In this space, man, especially around the part of the Christian story we're in, where we understand Jesus's own suffering, like we have to be okay with a language that isn't always demanding that we say that life is a self-improvement project. That actually makes me feel relieved to hear you say that in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, We've applied this unbiblical and unfair and irrational pressure to the Christian life, to the Christian worldview, which is that if we manage this thing properly, if we properly manage our faith, if we do this and this and this, and then in this order, and then with this and this applied, then what we get is health. And what we get is prosperity. And then just to discover that that was a real thin idea all along. I would like to hear you talk to us about how do we replace this? For so many of us, this is hardwired. We actually don't even know how to parse out what is real and true and good and beautiful from sort of the spiritual packaging it came in for some of us all of our lives. So how can you lead us right now? How can we begin to unravel those two things? And what can we hold on to instead that might offer us hope and peace even now? Even when, as you said, things might not get better. Oh man, and this language we have, yes, instead of just saying that hope is an assurance, for instance, like what the prosperity gospel says is that every single thing will be made right within our lifetime, right? And yes, we all want more. That's part of being human is we just, we are desperate for it. But instead, I mean, and we see it in the gospels is that, The story where Jesus comes and shows us all who God is and then returns to heaven and like leaves the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I sound sort of annoyed by that, frankly, right now, like leaves the Holy Spirit. But like in the world that's not yet, right? Like we still have to live in this crappy, broken, garbage world, she said respectfully, of our planet. So what does it mean to feel hope now? And that is what we have in the Christian story is what they said to do now, frankly, is they said, oh, we look for witnesses. We look for signs of hope. We're like little spiritual detectives that go around looking for signs of hope in the middle of the not yet. And so like, yeah, it is going to be terrible for a while. And I hate it when people make us lie as Christians that we're always supposed to say it's fine. But like God is not scared of our honesty, like really not scared and like loves us the most when we're able to say like, wow, we've really come to the end of ourselves. And like, that's where we're all at, right? Is our hearts are broken open for all these people right now who don't have enough. But like, Man, in the middle of that, God promises, one, I will be there. I swear to you, I will be there. That is my A game. Two, that like in the middle of that, we look to each other and we look to the world and we look for the little glimmers that God is already here. And then we remind each other and then we do that and we love each other until this is over. That's so good. And that's it. And that's enough. That's enough. We've just been conditioned to imagine that it isn't that nothing's enough until we have resolution, right? Or just we all get to emerge. And I think it's a real beautiful opportunity to learn what you just said. It's such a strange thing to say that, but we get a chance right now to test that. 
we get a chance to test that theory about God's presence and our love for one another and for this earth. And this would just be a guess on your part. This would just be nothing but a projection and I get it. But if you were just looking ahead to however this pandemic is going to ultimately sort of recede and then we begin the hard and long work of rebuild and you know, whatever recovery is going to look like, what would you just guess, or maybe even hope, I should say, what do you think you'll see in the church? Like, let's talk about the church specifically and how will this affect us? So it's not just a blip and something that we just wrangle into a prosperity shape, but what would you hope to see the church walk forward with? Mm -hmm. Right now we've been doing that slow march to Easter. And so many times year after year, especially if we're in a season of prosperity or if we just happen to be lucky, we're kind of playing at it, you know, because we're supposed to, we like sort of practice suffering or we practice imagining like, what would it be if we really, really needed Jesus to rise again? And we really, really needed the church to surround each other and fight for goodness and truth and beauty and justice. We play at it and we go through the motions because that's good and it teaches us. But man, we are not playing at death right now. We are staring at it, asking ourselves, God, could you be enough? And could we be enough to each other even in the middle of this? And like the answer is, oh man, we are nothing without each other. Like we were never made to be these adorable, individualistic, hyperproductive, super achievers. We just weren't. <laughs> so we're allowed to be fragile and ridiculous and lonely because we were never really supposed to be alone. So I'm hoping we just feel so comfortable being as limited as we are. And we won't feel like we have to pretend quite as much anymore. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I just love everything you just said. I want to sit in it for a minute. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Boy, that'd be really something to see. That would. Mm, that's a good dream, Kate, and I love it. There was this weird moment I had when I was, I was really, really sick, and I was in church, and someone said, we'd love to pray for you. I remember being at the front, and I looked terrible. You know, I was so puffy from chemo and I was really scared and I was pretending not to be scared as is my way. And I was like, people felt so nervous. We just have a very formal church. And I remember them just looking at me and I knew they felt terrible for me, but like no one wanted to like get up and touch me or pray for me. And you love institutions and I love institutions. And I'm hoping that we just get like more permission Kind of like we're all in our pajamas. We're all keeping it real. Like I hope in the future we just get so much permission just to look at someone else in need and like break through to each other again. There's no hiding it now. Like you can see me. I'm in my laundry room. I see your pile of bras right behind your head. <laughs> I do. We're breaking through. <laughs> yes, we are. That's good. That's a good word, sis. Guys, I am so happy to share one of my absolute favorite new sponsors with you, International Justice Mission, which you probably know is the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. They work to rescue people out of slavery and sex trafficking and walk with survivors until they are thriving all the way to freedom. I actually traveled to Rwanda on a joint trip with IJM and Noonday Collection just a few years ago. And believe me when I say IJM is a tip-top 
trustworthy organization doing fantastic good in the world right now. So in times like these, IJM stories remind us that on the other side of tragedy, there can still be hope. I'm going to actually share one of those stories with you right now. So IJM is working in Kenya to end police corruption, which robs so many people of justice. So one night, a young man named David Makara was shot by police and then accused of a crime he didn't commit. The officers left him for dead, but David actually crawled to a nearby hospital where doctors amputated his arm. When the officers heard that David was alive, they wanted to arrest him, but the hospital refused to let him be taken away. That is when IJM stepped in and provided David with a lawyer. So when they tried his case in court, David was set free and the police officers were arrested, which is just monumental. After the trial, David enrolled in law school, you guys, and the IJM lawyer who defended him became his mentor. Today, David is a lawyer with the High Court of Kenya working to protect his community. It's such a great story. Right now, you can watch more stories like that when you go to IJM.org slash Share hope now and share these with your friends. Let's help put more good news out into the world right now. We need these stories. So again, go watch at IJM.org slash share hope now and share these with your friends and family today. All right, back to the show. What is serving you right now? Like you have walked this path already. You have, you've already laid down all the expectations. You just casually cherished, you know, like we all do for a relatively pain-free long life. We do that. And you've already sort of gone through this grueling work of learning how to live in today and what to release and what to hang on to. So like what of all your experiences thus far is really serving you right now? How are you using what you've already paid for? Oh, thanks. Wow. That's such a nice question. I think one of the things I noticed at first was how, if you've been through something hard, you're kind of broken open because you can't pretend you notice when other people can't pretend anymore. And it's been really moving me to feel so comfortable wanting us all to just pray together, frankly, and to recognize who are more vulnerable. Like right now, I think the world is split in two, right? Like the sheltered and the exposed. And I'm sheltered right now. My fragility is nothing in comparison with the folks out there who are daily putting their lives on the line. So just feeling broken open and then like realizing I am in a beautiful position of having stuff to give. So if you're like me and you were fragile, but now you have a little extra, it feels so good to remember like, man, now's the give time. Hmm. And then if you're one of the fragile people, then you just get all the permission to be like, oh, this is the take season. Like there are people out there who want to give. So like, We should lean into that and feel so comfortable knowing when we wake up and we've got extra, be the extra. That's how we're built. That's what we're Oh my gosh, that is fantastic. I tell a story that is similar to that. And it's really true. And the beauty of community that is true and good and for one another is that we do get to take turns. That's how it works. We get to take turns being down 
or being in a season of give. And I love that. I've been both, of course, a million times back and forth. Let's sort of begin to land the plane here and grab onto some little moment of just hope and joy serving me right now to look out around our communities and see people just share little <laughs> little shreds of connection and something that's lovely or something that's precious or something that's funny. Humor has its place right now. What's something small for you? Like what's one thing that you are either experiencing at your house or whatever? I don't care. I won't leave the witness. You just tell me. <laughs> Well, no, I totally, I'm with you on, I think I noticed that for me, like absurdity has always kind of cut through the noise of fear. So like, I mean, right away when I got sick, I started throwing ridiculous parties. I made gingerbread mega churches to celebrate the life and times of Joel Osteen. Or like I had like a lot of taste test parties for things that were grosser and grosser. And so I'm trying to replicate like a little bit of that and with really just dumb stuff, like I'm kicking up casual Fridays to new and exciting lows. <laughs> so <laughs> you either got to go highbrow or lowbrow. Like, I mean, you got to go like ball gown or bandeau, you know? So, I'm dying. But one of my favorite things lately is my son really misses playing with his neighbor, Wyatt. And so uh, he leaves long, just loving, luxurious messages for him. And we just like pin it to all the doors so that when Wyatt walks by, it's just like, we love you. It's just one six-year-old boy to another. It's so precious. I love you so much. That's so sweet. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, I love that boy. It really is something to manage our kids' sadness too, isn't it? That is a whole nother level. And you know, I've got two seniors in the house right now. I have a senior in college and a senior in high school. And you know, their final years just kind of gone right into the gutter. And so holding room, any which way we can. I mean, if that means pasting long love letters in our windows for Wyatt, that's what it means. I I think I love you so much because when the wheels are coming off, you steer the car into absurd. That makes me so happy. <laughs> you know I do too, of course. That's just what I reach yeah, yeah. for. That's the ditch to be in, I think. I couldn't agree more. Okay. We're going to wrap it up here. These are just quick, sort of right off the top of your head, questions we're asking our incredible guests in the quarantine series. Here's the first one. If you have one, have you either put into practice or discovered any best practice or little habit that's helping you feel sort of grounded and stabilized? Yeah, I grew up Mennonite, so we're super like very low church, but I've been just making up these little liturgies to make a little rhythm of prayer. And so, yeah, that helps me a little like, God have mercy, Christ have mercy. The formalism really helps like make a container to put lovely, true things inside. So I've been doing that once a week, just trying to make up a liturgy and it feels really good. Oh, uh, are you sharing those? Uh, yeah. So we've been trying to put them on, on Instagram and stuff with little sweet slide decks so people can just like take a minute and do a little liturgy. So I don't know. I'm just hoping that we'll just make some stuff and then we can all practice together. That's great. How about this? And who knows? The answer may be absolutely not. But now that you're just stuck here at your house, I see you inside your laundry room. Is there any project you're like, well, you know what? While I'm here, this is a thing I've been thinking about and now I'm going to do it. Okay. We took apart our fence. Okay. So we're like straight up Mennonites, right? So we get 
dangerous very quickly with our construction. So I had to talk Tobin, my husband, out of, he used a rope to climb up to the second floor. And then he wanted me to pass him a ladder for the second floor. And that's when I was like, no. And then I found him with a sawzall on top of the shed yesterday. And I was like, and it's going places. (laughs) So if one of us doesn't die, we're going to build a new fence. Okay. Well, you know what? Everybody responds differently. That is hilarious. That feels like being married to a pack of teenage boys. Like my teenage sons do stuff like that all the time. Seems perfectly reasonable to climb to the second floor with a rope. Why not? And then demand the ladder. Wait, I'm going to need something else up here. No. Hey, wife. No, thanks. Oh, sheesh. Okay. And then this question you can answer however you want. I learned it from Barbara Brown Taylor. And she asks, what is saving your life right now? Yeah, I think the big thing right now is every morning I take a little extra minute for a six-year-old boy who wears these mounty pajamas like Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And he gets into bed with me with his giant python at 7 a.m. And I pretend he's my stuffed animal. (laughs) And it's the best minute of my day. Oh, a snuggly, warm six-year-old. I don't know what's better. Wearing Canadian propaganda. (laughs) However he comes to you. I remember we've got five kids. And so we spent whole entire decades where I just thought, we're never going to not have a kid in this bed. Somebody is going to either come in in the middle of the night. They're going to come in in the wee hours of the morning. It just seemed like every single day. And then it is the strangest thing to wake up one day and realize Oh, I can't remember the last time a kid was in this bed. Like you never know what's going to be the last time. And you certainly don't think you're going to miss it. And yet you do, you do. So I have a little pang of envy for your six-year-old snuggler. May I offer snuggler. you a humiliating alternative, which is, and I've never admitted this, maybe this it's because I especially love you. And also you're seeing me in this state of disrepair. The day after I got sick, it was the first day I was at home. I was in bed and it was like, 2 a.m. and all of a sudden my husband could hear a drawer slide open on my side and he was like okay yes he's like are you taking out your stuffed animals (laughs) 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 i think when times are tough everybody needs a lovey oh listen there are no rules and there's certainly no shame you open that drawer you get out those stuffed animals I love that so much. I love you too. And I'm so grateful for who you are and just your leadership in the world always and especially now. But I wonder if as we close out, would you just mind praying for us and with us and kind of over us? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Loving God, you see our smallness. You see our fear. You see our inability to make more than enough. God, give us a loaves and fishes moment. Make more with what little we have. Give us courage. And more than anything, give us your peace so that we may see clearly those who suffer today and surround them with absurd and lavish love. We love you. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thank you, my friend. Oh, and thanks so much for having me. Highlight of my day to look at you in that laundry room. Don't think I didn't take five <laughs> pictures of it because I did. <laughs> you see nothing. <laughs> much love to you. Oh, thanks, honeyman. Oh, she is so dear to me. What a good leader. So wise, so tender, so humble. 
I love her. I want you to follow her. And so over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have every single thing Kate Buller. I'll have links to all of her socials. I'll have links to her books and her work so that you can begin putting into rotation this incredible spiritual leader into your life and you will be better for it. We've got more to come in this quarantine series of just people to serve you. That's it. In whatever state of anxiety we are in, financial, emotional, spiritual, physical, all of it, like just all of it. What are we doing as parents right now? What are we doing as spouses right now? We try to think of every single conversation that we were all hungry to have and put it into the series with an incredible expert. So keep coming back. These episodes come out on Mondays and Fridays. Also, do not, whatever you are doing, do not miss our regular podcast series around Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire right now, which is just absolutely loaded. It is loaded. It is electric. It is beautiful. It is true. It is strong. We loaded up that series with everybody that I could think of that embodied the message of my book. And so we are talking, we're centering conversations around its content, which I'm so excited to bring to you on April 21st. We're getting really close to release date on that. And so I hope you'll have your copy because we're going to start hosting those conversations right here on this space too. Okay, guys, I will see you next time. And just know that I love you and my team and I care so much about you and it's our joy to serve you. Thank mm-hmm. you.